This is episode four, how to break into the field of private sector intelligence with your hosts, Michael and Ryan. You're listening to The Business of Intelligence, a podcast that explores how intelligence serves decision makers beyond the traditional national security audience. Tune in as we connect with some of the world's leading practitioners working at the intersection of business and risk in order to analyze and discuss the field of private sector intelligence. We'll talk about what's working, what isn't, and how intelligence is helping organizations navigate today's global operating environment. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Business of Intelligence podcast. And if this is your first time listening, thank you so much for joining us. I'm Ryan, and I'm here with my good friend and co-host, Michael. Michael, how are you settling in now that you're back in the U.S. and Northern Virginia? Hey, Ryan. Uh, It's great to be back. A lot of things I miss about Italy, Germany, Europe in general, but I have to be honest, it's it's really fun and exciting to be back in Northern Virginia. Yeah, great. Can't wait to see you. Um, although I'm, I won't be too disappointed if I have to come visit in Italy if you ever go back. So let us all know. Listen, today, everyone, we're kicking off a new episode format, and this one's going to be part of our how-to series. So once a month, we're going to share our perspectives, our lessons learned, tactics, on how to do something as an intelligence practitioner, just to see if we can support others who might need some help or just want a fresh perspective on what they're already doing. The topics are going to vary from how to use active listening to meet customer needs and spot opportunities, to how to be an intelligence practitioner of influence, to, of course, the million-dollar question of how to build or advance an intelligence function We're going to get really, really tactical during these discussions, and the plan right now is to do at least one how-to episode per month. But let's start with today's topic, which is how to break into the field of private sector intelligence. And we are doing this one a little bit earlier than we originally planned. So do you want to explain to everyone listening why that is? Sure, Ryan. I think uh, one of the the main... uh questions we've been hit with from different listeners, whether it come from the military, private sector, different parts of the government, was how do we break into the private sector? People have had uh, different experiences, different timelines, and I think uh, general consensus is it was a lot harder than people initially thought it would be, and uh, a steep learning curve. So, yeah, I think as, as we talked about in the past, we're, we're pushing this forward, but we really want to try to help people and uh, make make the transition a lot smoother. Yeah, I've been in the private sector for almost eight and a half going on nine years now. And I would say that this question is at or near the top. Without a doubt, it never goes away. There's always challenges. There's always people trying to figure out what's the right path to get in and running into some obstacles along the way. So I guess one thing we should know for everyone up front is this is definitely just the start of the conversation. We have some practitioners that we plan on having on that can really speak to this topic to include someone who does career coaching, for example. So we're definitely not going to do this topic justice in under an hour. So everyone should definitely look for more to follow on this one. But listen, I I thought we could start with this how-to episode because 
you, my friend, you have a really timely and unique experience on this. And so why don't we kick things off with you? And in a sense, I'm going to interview you for, for this episode. And along the way, I'll definitely interject some things that I've learned along the way as well when the opportunity arises. But I have never seen someone take such a thoughtful approach in looking to make the transition from the government to the private sector. So can you share a little bit about what you're going through and just your overall experience at a high level? Sure. Absolutely, Ryan. I think uh, one of the things about my background is that I actually did start out in the private sector for almost seven years working in the financial services industry. So although I've been in government and military over the last several years, I had a had a good foundation for understanding what the requirements and what the shift would look like. I took a methodical approach. 2018 is when I really started researching uh, private Intel space Back when we could do this, I attended conferences and events in person, met a lot of people, uh, learned about different associations, a lot of which I had to pay out of pocket. But for example, ARIP, the Association of International Risk Intelligence Professionals, the Association of Certified Fraud Examiners, different groups, and did my best to learn about them and expanded my network. So I, I understand the difficulties it is for people. Uh, luckily, a lot of what I've been doing since I had a longer runway, it's been passive career search, where now I'm actually just getting into the weeds of uh, actually doing the search myself. But I think I've learned a lot of ways that we could definitely help our audience to make their transition smoother. Yeah. And one of the first things I heard from you was this is really a multi-year experience. So that actually might be one of the first tactics we share with everyone is, you know, don't just focus on this in the, the final six months or the final few months before you try to make that transition, you know, get started as early as possible. But let's dig in and talk specific tactics and provide some advice that others can definitely use right now. And again, we'll go back to you. So the first question I have for you, what is the absolute first thing that comes to mind when you're trying to break into the field of private sector intelligence? I think one thing that's a challenge for a lot of people, uh, whether they're coming from university, other career fields, and especially the government and military sectors, is it's just really understanding the different nuances of not not just the private sector, but different industries within the private sector and different companies within those industries. You know, I, I think sometimes people have too broad an outlook and you really need to ask yourselves questions about what interests you, what are the fields, what are different companies. And then from there, you can start to get an understanding of where does intelligence fall within those different companies. And you know, I, I think the uh, we'll probably go back to this, but the one thing I want to say before I forget is I think the most critical skill throughout this process is active listening. And uh, you and I have spoken that, about that a lot. And when I say active listening to anyone out there who is is going through the career search, I mean, you should really be reaching out to as many people as you can in the field who are already in uh, intelligence roles in different companies or industries you're interested in. And uh, if they're gracious enough to share their time with you, either via text or email or telephone or in person, really, really listen. Like you shouldn't even be trying to sell yourself initially. I mean, that, that should be down the road. You really should be focusing on asking them pertinent questions, not questions that you can answer yourself, such as what's McDonald's like, but rather what is it like working in 
your department within your role? What, what is it? How did you start out? Uh, what have you learned and what's the next steps? And I think the more that you can better interview and listen to people, the more you're going to start to understand where you might fall within the greater Intel space. I'll just jump in there and, and emphasize something you said at the beginning, which I think was around the idea of taking a tailored approach to everything you do in terms of a strategy. So the private sector is a big ecosystem, and you alluded to this. So tech may look different than finance. Finance may look different than manufacturing. Manufacturing may look different than so on and so on and so on. I think everyone gets the picture. So I think the tactic here is study and learn as much as you possibly can about the field and do that by doing many of the things that you just talked about in terms of looking at the different industries, you know, finding out who's who, what are they working on. I think another tactic is just open your eyes to the possibility of uh, working within that ecosystem. I think right now we're really talking about large multinational corporations, but again, it's a big ecosystem. There are many, many players within it. So for example, there's an entire vendor community space that you know works to support you know all these private sector intelligence teams. There are some really, really amazing opportunities with some very, very smart people, many of whom we work with and know. So this could be a great way to break into the field. And there are numerous benefits by working on that side of the house that you might not realize or obtain by working, let's say, for a large company. So anyway, just to reiterate that, definitely take a tailored approach to everything that you do. Understand that the private sector is this big ecosystem. You need to sort of understand what that ecosystem has or what it consists of and start to take your approach. And the active listening piece, I will circle back. I'm, I don't want to steal your thunder in case you know you talk about networking and, and dive a little bit deeper in terms of getting to know people who work in the field. But what else? What else comes to mind um, for you? in terms of tactics to break into the private sector intelligence field? I think going back in the weeds a bit with the networking is uh, you can get on LinkedIn. I mean, it's an amazing tool and you can really start to see people. You can look them up by companies, roles. If you join some of the organizations, you understand, you, you might start to understand what the Intel programs are like in these companies. And it's definitely a bit of a numbers game. Like you have to respect and appreciate that people have a lot going on in their lives, whether it's professional, personal, they, they might just not have time to respond to a message or, or if they do, they might not have a lot of time to commit to it, but you really can't get discouraged. You just have to keep trying to find people. And a lot of times, you know, I think over the years, I, I've been able to connect with people, let's say for you, for example, Ryan, someone who had similar military background or common friends, you know, and it, it might not to be a total stranger. And, and just once you get somebody in a particular company that you're interested in, then really ask them. And oh, and before I forget, another critical thing is you don't necessarily always need to talk to someone in an Intel program. I mean, if you have a company you love, like if you, you've always wanted to work for uh, company A, uh, you look at company A, if you find somebody on that who has any kind of role that you're interested in, whether it's uh, product development, marketing, it, it really is a good person to ask to get a feel for the, the greater culture. 
because that's something I even do, even for companies that I know well, I've done the research, I've, I've listened to the earnings calls with the CEO, I know people in the Intel programs. I still like to talk to someone in the actual business unit side, if I can, to get their perspective, because we'll, we'll go in the weeds in this in a second. But I think where, where one fits in a company's culture is one of the most important things when you do transition. Yeah, that's such a great point. That's a great segue to talk about company culture and how it relates to this field. Let me come back to that. What would you say to somebody who's out there right now saying, but listen, Mike, I've I've been told that LinkedIn is bad. What I do is very sensitive. I shouldn't post a photo. I shouldn't have a profile. You know, I've been warned and I'm, I'm not sure if I feel comfortable about leveraging LinkedIn. What would you say to that person? You know, it's funny. I think we could do a whole episode on on that question. It's such a good one. Uh, I guess for the, the sake of time in this particular discussion, what I would say is that everyone has their own threshold of how they feel they can present themselves in social media or LinkedIn. I would say personally in today's world, most, I mean, the reality is most private sector companies, including Intel programs, really aren't concerned with your class, your, what, what level of government classification access you have, specific locations or job titles, because ultimately it's not, uh, it's not what you did in the government that's going to get you to the next level. It's the skills and traits that you use within the government that are going to be directly applicable. Uh, let me give an example. There, there's all kind of classified intelligence that different people are doing, but ultimately what, what skills are going to help a private sector intelligence team? Uh, it's going to be communication skills, decision-making, analytical aptitude, how to operate independently. So ultimately this is where you're trying to convey to a prospective employer is that you have these skills and you can immediately impact their team. So most of what's classified really has no place in LinkedIn. So you shouldn't look at it like it has to be there. Yeah. So let's be very blunt about LinkedIn. If you're getting advice that, you know, you shouldn't use it or, you know, it's, it's for whatever reason, it's bad and, and it's not something you should take advantage of. I think that advice is good intention, well-intentioned. It comes from a good place. And there are some concerns that I understand, but that is not setting you up for success whatsoever. There are some risk mitigation measures that you can put in place in terms of your profile that LinkedIn does a great job of. So there's some ways to sort of lock that account down while still using it to the best of your ability. But you have to invest some time and resources into building an amazing LinkedIn profile. I mean, I've been a hiring manager for a number of years now. And I mean, resumes, they're there. They still exist. They provide some awareness to some degree. But, you know, LinkedIn is where I'm mostly going to focus. But let me, let me circle back to culture real quick and, and maybe take us down a particular path when it comes to networking and getting to know people in the field, because I think this is one of the things I focus in the most on. So if, if the field of private sector intelligence had its own company culture, which I believe it's, it, it does, part of that culture would definitely be collegial. Um, I would say even a very tight-knit atmosphere and it's heavily built on trust because there's a lot of collaboration for various reasons. And those are all good things. 
But whether it's fair or not, what can happen every now and again, that can lead to some insularity when it comes to hiring in some cases. And so what I want everyone listening to, to do is imagine this. I have an opening on my team and you, Michael, you just happen to have a recommendation for me in terms of someone that you think would be a great hire. Now, I have a lot of trust in you. You have a lot of credibility because I know how you work and you helped me in the past. And you just happen to have a recommendation that you think would be a great hire. And that's that's amazing to me because I'm looking for any way to reduce uncertainty around potential candidates because let's be honest, the hiring process can be absolutely exhausting and a crapshoot at times. So I may just take your recommendation and that's a scenario that can play out pretty often, which as a result can make it hard for people to break into the field of private sector intelligence. So so here's a tactic. This is probably one of the like first and foremost things you need to think about. And you, you touched on this. I'm just hoping we can dive in a little bit deeper. Take some time to network with and get to know people within the field. It's, it's really an absolute must almost. Now, you mentioned Arab at the beginning. I think I have to mention them again, Association of International Risk Intelligence Professionals. But this private sector field, it's a big ecosystem. There's many different communities within that ecosystem. So when I talk about Arab and what I'm talking about right now is what I guess we would generally call risk intelligence professionals, acknowledging that there are other types of intelligence professionals as well. But for right now, let's just stick with the risk intelligence professionals. Arab is a great way to get involved. They host webinars. They have pre-COVID and post-COVID, there's going to be outstanding events where you can get to know people and get to meet people and really develop rapport and make a connection with somebody. There's analyst roundtables, both inside the U.S. and outside the U.S. So geographic clusters of intelligence practitioners that get together, share information, benchmark, uh, get to know one another. Those are free. It's great to be involved in those. There's recruiters on LinkedIn. We haven't even really talked about recruiters yet that you can reach out to on LinkedIn. And then, of course, you know, I, I love your advice on reaching out to somebody in a business that's not necessarily on the intelligence team, but just trying to understand what that company's about, what the culture's like, et cetera. So networking, 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 it sounds so cliche, but it is for a reason because it's especially effective in the private sector. So what do you think about that in general? And then is there anything that comes to mind in terms of tactics around networking? Yeah, I mean, I think you, you, uh, you've brought up two good points. I'll put them together. Uh, trust and trust and networking. And yeah, I, I think as a just a general piece of advice for job seekers is, you know, if you're a lot of people in the intelligence world are familiar with the concept of rapport, but even if you're not, rapport is so critical. And you know, there's, there's very few times where there's instant rapport. And what I mean by that is, you know, you really have to meet people and get to know them, understand them, share some information about yourself, and then try to understand ways where maybe you can help them. So, you know, you're, you might be looking for a job, but at the same time, you have a lot of skills, you have your own network. So maybe it's giving back to paying forward, giving out, giving back to the people you're meeting and then over time, as they begin to better know you, to have a higher level of trust, then it becomes easier to, to meet other people in the network. Yeah, great points. Great points. 
Okay, what's next, my friend? Let's talk about expectation management. We were talking about this before we hopped on this call. I know you have some really good insight in terms of around, you know, managing expectations as the person who is trying to break in. So is there anything in that area that you can speak to or any advice that you can give anyone, everyone? Yeah, I think, you know, it's funny. I was thinking to myself, this is almost advice I would give potential job seekers and prospective hiring managers. I think everything in life is constantly changing, constantly evolving. So when when I'm talking about the transition, I'm really looking, we'll say calendar year 2021. That's, That's really my baseline I'm going off of. But, you know, one thing I've seen for myself and other people going through the transition is there's a bit of a paradox in the sense that hiring managers might underappreciate some of the skills that newcomers, whether they're university, military, or government, bring to the table. But the flip side is a lot of job seekers might be overestimating the utility that companies have for that. So the long way of saying is I think I think everyone has to to understand that it might not be a direct crossover from if you're at a mid to senior level role in the government or the private sector, at this point in time, it was I know for a fact it was different and you know previous points in, in the job history, but now it's you really have to you really have to level your expectations. And at the same time, I think a lot of career managers, uh, sometimes I think people are put uh, labels. So, oh, okay, you know, Mike's a military guy or Mike's a government guy or Mike's a Department of Defense guy, where I really think that people in general need to do active listening and ask the right questions and really understand the person sitting across the table from them. And that's whether you're the job seeker, the the hiring manager, or even the intelligence professional talking to a source of information. But, uh, you know, so I think um, I think right now that disparity in appreciation of knowledge versus how it equates financially in the private sector is a bit of a gap. What, what do you think of that? Yeah, I, I definitely want to touch on this. I'll get on a, a quick soapbox here in a second. But if I can act, ask you just a quick follow up. So if someone tries to put you in a box, oh, Mike is the DOD guy or you're the CIA guy or you're the FBI gal, you know, how do you? You know, you're being perceived a certain way by, let's say, a hiring manager, and and that's not necessarily a good thing. Is is there any way to sort of overcome that? Because I think I think you went through that even when you made your first transition from the private sector to the military and the government. I think when we were talking earlier, you said that you had been put in a box back then. Oh, Mike's the private sector guy. So, is there anything that people can do to sort of overcome that, or does it just take time? No, I mean, I think time's always a factor, but you know, it's interesting when I was, when I was an army captain, got mobilized and ended up augmenting the joint special operations task force in Iraq. We always seem to go back to team of teams, but you know, one of the amazing things about that time, that unit was whether you remember an augmentee, they really delve down deep into what is, who is this person? What's their background? What random skill might they bring to the table so we can, we can use it to our advantage in the war? Uh, and, you know, that's something I've always tried to do probably before, but definitely since. But that being said, that wasn't a challenge there. But when I when I migrated to full time government service, there definitely was 
oh, you're a business guy. You don't quite understand how the government bureaucracy works or the active duty side. And and I think it goes back to what we said earlier, you know, rather than saying, well, you know, I was a business guy, I really had to pull out the the traits that I learned and use as a business professional and explain to them in very basic layman terms, this is how I can affect our team here on the government side through good communication, analytical decisiveness, and the ability to operate as a team member or independently. And once you start proving that, you know, I, I think people, pe- most people want strong members on their team. So you, you can prove success quickly. Why don't we take a step back? I'll go back to what you were talking about earlier in terms of being what I call underselected and how to approach that. So, you know, this this to me is, again, one of these things that is at the top of the list that we need to talk about and try to provide some advice on how to overcome. I saw this through a military lens. So, you know, at some point in time for many years, um, post 9-11, companies were really looking to hire veterans um, which is a wonderful and amazing thing. I was privy to some research that had been done over the course of, I forget how many years, um, you know, after 9-11. But one of the realizations was it wasn't necessarily that veterans weren't getting jobs. It was that military veterans were being underselected for the jobs that they were getting. So what do I mean by that? It means that based on your experience level, level you think that you would come into the private sector at a level that's commensurate with your experience and the knowledge and the skills that you have. But the hard reality is that that we know that that doesn't always happen. And, you know, I want to just acknowledge really quick. We know that that's not necessarily fair um, and we don't necessarily agree with it, but that's what happens. And it, it did happen to me a little bit to some degree. And so, you know, I wanted to speak to this for just a minute. So I think there's a couple of tactics if if that happens to you. You know, you may have an expectation that if you make this transition and the jump to the private sector, you should come in at level X. But let's say you actually get a job offer and it's not anywhere close to that in terms of the title or maybe even the salary. So here's a couple of tactics just to consider. There's no right answers, but just to consider. I think the first one is it really is important to, to at some point to take a chance somewhere because the key is to get your foot in the door in the private sector. I mean, this entire episode is built around the idea that it's not the easiest thing to make that transition into the private sector. It can sometimes be insular. Sometimes it really helps to, to know people to help you make that move. But if you can get your foot in the door and show them what you can do, I think that's a really good and smart opportunity For the most part, I think if you perform at a high level over time, that gap between where you thought you should have come in and where you are can be reduced pretty quickly. So if you go in with the attitude that, okay, I'm just, they're taking a chance on me. This is not where I thought I was going to be or at the level that I thought I was going to be, but I'm going to show them, I'm going to show them over the six to 12 months that they do have the right person. I think that gap can be decreased you just need that opportunity to show them. And that, that's why taking a chance sometimes is, and taking that leap is really important. Now, to be clear, my advice is not just to take anything for the sake of taking it. 
unless of course you just feel as if there are absolutely no other options. So what can you do to reduce uncertainty around the idea of making that leap and taking a chance somewhere? Well, it all goes back to what you said at the beginning of the podcast, research companies and their cultures, understand what they're about, talk to as many people as you can within the organization or about that organization and find an organization that at the end of the day, offers a lot of what you're looking for. So overall, big picture, you know, this place looks really good. I think I could be happy there. I think I could be successful. They're not offering me the title that I want or necessarily the salary right off the bat that I want. But for the most part, everything else is good. So I'm going to take this opportunity and I'm going to show them over the six to 12 months that they really made a good decision and then the rest will catch up. So again, I acknowledge that in many cases that can be taken a little bit of a leap of faith, but sometimes that's what you have to do. And if you just really believe in yourself and sort of have this attitude that you're going to prove it and you're going to show them, all things will be corrected, I think, in the long run. So I just wanted to speak to that because I've seen it over and over again. Yeah, no, a couple couple points I'll jump in there. Uh, just the uh, I'll give... Uh, Hire Heroes USA, they're a veterans uh, support group. I uh, had a really amazing counselor there, Richard Rodriguez. And uh, one of the things the Hire Heroes USA will do will match you with people from different companies. And the reason I'm bringing this up is one of the, you know, I've spoken throughout the last couple of years, networking, you know, for our podcast, we speak to a lot of different people in different parts of the Intel and security space. But one of the most powerful interviews I had was uh, with a computer programmer at one of the big tech firms. And again, he, he had no idea about anything government or military or Intel. So he could only speak to the culture from a computer program aspect. And he'd been, he'd been one of the original Google people. And he, he'd worked at about seven different tech companies. And ironically, he was one of the extremely useful call because he really... He really delved down deeply into the culture of each company he's worked at. And it really helped me assess, you know, looking at those seven companies based on things that he said. And then other things I, I offer that I researched, I really was able to, to cut down the companies that I think I'd even want to work for. So, uh, you know, never, never underappreciate that. And, uh, you know, I think me just, you know, tactical advice, um, you know, as I'm going through the transition, I'm always thinking, uh, I think my priority is team. Do I like the team? Is it good people? Leadership? Do I like the manager and the senior leadership, especially the day to day? And then do uh, can I do I feel comfortable working within that company's culture, vision, and goals? And then you know, looking at initial compensation and the job as maybe like a secondary. So, um, yeah, it's just some stuff I'd like to put on that. And I also want to circle back, uh, kind of got my chain of thought back for how, how to work with people, people get placing you in a particular box, whether it's government Intel. And I think one of the biggest challenges is even as military professionals, you know, both we're both military intelligence. There's still so many little subgroups and niches and, you know, whether it's collectors, uh, analysts, targeters. So you, you can never you can never assume that anyone knows what you're doing. You know, you, you know, if you say I'm a I'm a super experienced case officer, I'm a 
I'm a world-class analyst at this organization. Like all of those could be completely different from someone that hiring managers met before. So you, you really, you can't just assume people understand what you're doing. You really have to articulate the skills that you do and sell that hiring manager on how those skills can help his team develop. Let me pull on that thread for a second, because that's a great segue to my last sort of point and tactic. And then I'll, I'll come back to you to see if you have anything else before we close out. But I think when you're thinking about this transition, one of the things that has to be top of mind is getting by HR. That has to be an initial concern. And so let me expand on that a little bit. I've been a hiring manager for a number of years now. And so there's there's two things I want to point out. Number one, Whenever I've had an open position, I made it a point to look at almost all the resumes that come in. I mean, that's that's a lot, but because we have such a unique function, you know, I just I want to have that first look and see what's coming in and get a sense of of what's coming in in terms of the talent and experience. Um, so the first thing everyone should sort of realize is that's not necessarily normal. You know, that might not always be the case. Not all teams. Um, have the luxury of time of doing that, nor do maybe they want to do that. So there might be instances where I see a resume and I see a particular, let's say resume language, if you will, based on their government background. And I say, yeah, I, I get it. I, I understand fully what she did, you know, for, for this particular agency or in the DOD. Um, so that, that can be helpful, but you can't make that assumption that there's other Intel practitioners looking at every resume. So you really have to have this mindset of getting by HR. That has to be your initial concern. So one of the trends that I've seen though um, over the years is just not matching the resume to basically what's being called out in the job description or the job posting, you know, just not having that match. And so if you, if you can't do that right away, there's a big problem because whether it's me looking or somebody on the HR side, you know, it's very clear usually in the job posting, what are some of the basic requirements? And a lot of times these job postings will use very specific language. You know, for me, I'm looking for somebody that has an entrepreneurial spirit. You know, I might be looking for a couple of other things, somebody who can operate um, under stress or an amb ambiguity, for example. So very specific things listed. So the, the CV or the resume has to speak to that at some point. So here the tactic is develop a knowledge repository of job postings, you know, any job posting that you see and, and be active in searching for them as well, but develop that knowledge repository of job postings, study them look and understand what they're asking for and then tailor your resume to that exact posting. And it goes back to what we were saying earlier about taking a tailored approach. I know it's a lot of work. I know it's a lot of effort. I see a lot of people sort of lamenting on LinkedIn, how they're going through the job process, how much work it is, and they might not even get, you know, a call back or whatever. It's just an enormous effort. Uh, we acknowledge that, but you have to tailor what you're doing to the specific job posting um, because if you don't, there's just, there's just no chance off the bat. So um, please keep that in mind, everyone. So listen, those are some, I think some helpful tactics based on 
real world experiences from both of us, things that we've seen as well. Is there anything else that you wanted to touch on before we took off? Yeah. And I think just one last thing, piggybacking off your, your last advice is, um, yeah, I do think sometimes there's a, there's a tendency or human nature to just want to apply for every job that, that you remotely might be able to compete for. And, and I would really go back to the, what we started at in, in this episode is do the research and really start to figure out, you know, would I want to work for this company and then network and figure out what do I know about this team? What are they doing Intel wise within the company? Is it something I think would be mentally stimulating? And then, you know, if possible, do you know somebody, anyone in the company who can refer you just to potentially increase your chances of being seen by the hiring manager and getting through the HR level? And, uh, because I, you know, I've definitely spoken to people who are like, I've, you know, I've applied to a hundred or two hundred, and you know, I, I mean, it's easy to say, and I'm going through it, so you know, we'll see. Uh, we can do a follow-on in a couple of months, but I really think a, a targeted approach is much more is much uh, more efficient, especially for one's time and sanity. And going back, you know, to something that we said on previous episodes, intelligence is a participatory sport. I mean, breaking into the field of private sector intelligence is a participatory sport. And everything that you say you're talking about really revolves around people and all the research that you talked about. So you, you can't you can't be on the sidelines, meaning you can't just throw things out there and meaning these job postings and, and see if it's going to happen. You really got to dig in, get to know people, do your research, take a tailored approach and yeah, just don't give up. So. Well, there you have it, everyone. That is definitely just the start of the conversation. Hopefully we got off to a good start. If you could all do us a favor, if you know of anyone that's trying to make that transition right now and they might need just a little help, please feel free to point them in the direction of this episode. And hopefully this will help get them started down the right path. Also, if you have feedback or additional questions, please don't hesitate to contact us at the Business of Intelligence podcast LinkedIn page or you can reach us via email at asktboi at thebusinessofintel.com. That's A-S-K-T-B-O-I at thebusinessofintel.com, both of which we're using uh, for, for a bit in the short term until we launch the blog and website. But again, feel free, connect with us, let us know what you think, let us know if you have any questions or any advice that you have that we could share with everyone as well. Uh, because I know that this issue is not going to go away anytime soon. We'll be thinking about this for a while. So, Michael, thanks so much for your perspectives and insights. They're really valuable. Again, I've never seen anyone take the approach that you have, very thoughtful, deliberate. And I think you had a lot to offer everyone listening. So until next time, I will talk to you soon, my friend, and I look forward to the next one. Take care. Looking forward to it. All right. Stay safe, everyone. We'll talk to you soon. Bye.